Seigneur. Well, this morning, in just a few minutes, we'll be in Luke chapter 21, um, and we'll actually be looking at the whole chapter, and I know it's kind of long, so I'm just going to forewarn you that it will be long, but, but one of the things, as we're in the middle of this series, where we're going through the entire book of Luke, through the rest of 2017, so if you missed something, um, you can probably catch up pretty easily. Uh, so at the end of this year, if nothing else, you'll have read one whole book in the Bible. So if that's all the reading you've done, you do, then if you listen every week, you'll, you'll read one book. I hope you'll do a little more than that, but... But this morning, I've been wondering, do you ever daydream? Yeah, okay. I mean, I mean, that's, most of you are doing that right now. I get that. That's how this works. Week in, week out, I see your faces, and I know what you're doing, and, and it's not listening to me. Um, so, fair enough. So, so, I'm laughing. I won't pick on this person. They're not in here, so that's okay. I, I preached on something a couple weeks ago, and then we were in a Bible study this Wednesday, and they said to me, I've never heard this before in this video that was playing, and I was like, actually, I said it two weeks ago. Um, so I know how well you all listen, so that, that was my answer. But, but I mean, have you, have you ever daydreamed what your life could be like or what lives of those around you could be like? And I don't mean just daydreaming just a little bit like, like I do, thinking Indiana maybe will win another national title in basketball. Um, I mean, the last one was when I was four years old. It's been a little while, so I'm hoping for another one here soon. Uh, we'll see if this new coach helps, and most of you don't care about that, but, but there you go. But we daydream about all kinds of things. In fact, I, I've been thinking about how, how as we get older, it's harder to dream. See, the older we get, the harder it is to dream because we begin seeing life as concrete. It becomes two-dimensional. It's hard to see life outside of certain boxes that we create for ourselves, and it gets harder and harder to do that. And so I was thinking about how this is applicable to us, and, and so I was thinking about our son, and, and he... He brings home papers, and they will have, like the one this week, and I was really proud of him because he spelled all the words correctly, but he had drawn ox, and he did say why he, something, write a sentence about ox. So he wrote, I like ox because they are strong, and he spelled everything correctly. So it was a win, win in our house, but, but do you remember in school when they would send home, or you'd have to do homework, and they'd give you like four words, and you had to write a story with those four words. They were teaching you creativity, and, and do you remember this? I mean, so if I were to give you four words like bull, pirate, church, and basketball, could you make a sentence that would make, or make, tell a little story that would make sense? Some of you are like, I don't know. So, so in other words, it'd be like this. There was a pirate who got in a fight with a bull, and he lost. But because he lost, he found the church, and he came to know Jesus, and so he helps in an after-school program teaching kids how to play basketball. Right? So you take four words, and you tell a story out of the four words, and so you just have to learn to be creative. And so whatever those words are, uh, that's kind of what I feel like this text is like today. It's almost like Jesus took four words and he told a story. Now, we believe this is a true story, but, but it's kind of hard to follow in some spaces and some places. And so I just want to give you fair warning as we look at it that, that we're trying to connect the dots because Jesus, it's like he knows the four words, but we don't. And so as we look at it, if we don't break it up as we kind of walk through it, it's really hard for us to imagine. But, but all this to say, I hope at the end of today, you dream a little bit. Your imagination runs wild with what could be, with what maybe God could do in the world, and maybe he could do it through you. In fact, there's a card in your seat when you came in. If you didn't get one, there should be a few extra, and we'll make sure you get one before you leave. But, but these cards, we're going to talk about at the end of the service today, and if you don't have one and you can see one around you, just snag it from someone else and, and you can use it. But we're going we're gonna to get to that later, and these cards on one side just say, God, use me. And we're going to come to that line at the end of the service today, and, and we're going to have you answer that question. How are you going to pray that God will use you? 
And so today, I will say this up front, that if, you don't, if you're not even sure about God, if you're not even sure about Jesus, if you're not sure why you're even here, you just, someone dragged you, or you just thought there was nothing better to do this morning, and you thought you'd come listen to a guy talk for a few minutes, I mean, you probably could have found someone better, but thanks anyway. So, so we just want to say to you this morning that I hope at the end of this message that you might decide that you will say a prayer. Maybe the prayer for you will just be this, God, use me. Um, in some way to know whether you're true or not. And so we'll come back to that a little bit later. But, but we've been looking at this series we're calling Ashes because we, we believe that somehow God takes things that represent death, ashes, and he can bring life from unexpected places. And so this series really is all about this idea that as we move to the cross in this Lenten season, the Lent is just the time from Ash Wednesday to Easter. So it's, it's just a season in which we, we prepare ourselves, we pray, we repent, we, we lament, we... We let go of some stuff because we think God wants us to do some new stuff. And so this is kind of what this is about for us, that God comes in unexpected places. And so today I want to say we're reading in the book of Luke, and Luke was a a Gentile Greek doctor, and and Luke kind of began to explore what is this, who is this Jesus guy, and is he real, and if so, is he worth following? And so he, he began to believe in him. And he writes this to his friend named Theophilus, and he wants Theophilus to believe in Jesus. And so the chapter today, Luke chapter 21 uh, if you'll ever look in your Bible to Mark chapter 13, you'll find some similarities because we believe Mark wrote his first, and they were really creative when they named the Bible books. Um, they pretty much named them after authors or who they were written to. So Mark was actually a guy named Mark, and so Luke learned from Mark, and so here's what Luke writes in Luke chapter 21. And normally, I invite you to stand when we read, but it's really long today, so I'm going to let you sit, so that means I don't want you to fall asleep in the middle of this reading. So uh, you can pull out your Bible in front if you want to follow along, but we're in Luke chapter 21. And we're going to read the whole thing. So here it is. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for you, see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. 
For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. The word of the Lord. I told you it was really long and you may be really confused right now. That's okay, we'll probably confuse you more before you leave, so that's my gift to people, is I'm more confusing than you read it the first time. But there are passages that kind of seem like those connect-the-dot stories you had to write and connect things, and that's what this kind of feels like on the front end. What in the world is going on? And so we'll begin with where Jesus begins in this chapter, where, where Luke records this story. He begins with this widow. And he tells this story, and my assumption, and most scholars' assumption, is that Jesus was sitting in the temple courts, and there would have been a place where people could give, give to the temple. You'd give to, to the temple, uh, you, you would give for sacrifices, you would give for the priests, and so these different places you could give. And so, so people who were really wealthy would make a big show of this. I mean, they would come in and they would, they would make a big deal about putting their money here, and they would kind of mess around. They didn't really have pockets in that day, but they would have like their purse strings, to the, and they would make a big deal about shaking their money, so you heard them put the money in, and so those that had more money would just take longer and longer as they would give. And so then you would know they must have given a lot because they stood there forever. It was a big deal. So the disciples are sitting there probably kind of watching this and talking with Jesus, and, and he stops them and he goes, did you guys see that? I'd be like, what? No, there's people giving, giving their offerings and their tithes. Yeah, what, what, what's the point? And they go, no, no, did you see that? Jesus, what are you talking about? We, we see people just, we see what you see. He goes, no, no, I don't think you saw it. See, I, I think you missed it. I don't know if you saw that widow. She came and she gave basically two pennies. And they're like, okay, what's your point? Well, don't you get it? She literally gave everything. I mean, all these other people, they keep coming and giving, but they, they've got a ton to give, and they, they give a lot. Yeah, they give a lot, no question about it. And they make a big deal about it, and everyone knows they gave a lot. I mean, they're the people that want their names on every plaque, the giving plaques. That, you know, sometimes people, you'll see the anonymous donors, and then you'll see the people who make sure their name is on there. Companies especially, they want their name because they want you to know they gave, right? I mean, this was the, the way of, you, you didn't get your name on a plaque there, but you just stand there longer so they saw you give. And this lady gives everything she had. And so really, it's Jesus looking at his disciples and, and asking this question, did you see her give everything? 
And the question he asks them, and he probably really is asking us, is how much of you does God have? Does he have all of you? I mean, are you really living for him in such a way that everything is his, or, or is, is some of it yours? And then Jesus goes on, and, and, and the disciples probably are kind of walking with Jesus and talking, and, and, and the temple... They're probably just kind of touching some of the outside walls and, and looking at it. And, and the temple, this building, I don't, I don't think we can do justice to it. It, it had gold on, on multiple sides. And so if you're looking from the wrong direction, the more you saw the sun rise and hit the temple, you literally couldn't look at it. Because of the gold and the reflection, you would have to shield your eyes because it was so bright. And I can just see the disciples walking along. I mean, these are, these are pretty ordinary guys. I mean, this is, they're not not real wealthy men. And so they're going, man, this place is pretty sweet. I mean, this is cool. And Jesus then says to them, well, you know what? Not one stone is going to be left here. Excuse me? Jesus, I don't think you understand. I mean, this took decades to build. Decades. Do you see how big these stones are? I mean, they were massive. And Jesus goes, yeah, well, not one's going to be left what? He goes, yeah, let me, let me tell you this. Um, in fact, this place is going to be turned upside down. It's going to be, be totally different. I mean, the temple represented for them, it represented their religious life, it represented their political life. I mean, their national pride was in this. I mean, this represented everything it meant to be Jewish. They believed this was the place where God's spirit actually dwelled. And, and when Jesus says to them, hey, um, it's going to be destroyed, excuse me, Yeah, this isn't going to be here. And he paints a picture. He paints a big picture. And sometimes this is where we lose our imagination. He, he paints a picture of what could be. He says, in fact, it's going to be horrific. And it's not going to be fun to be around here. And so there are really kind of four things. We're not going to spend a lot of time on these four. And if you'd like to talk more about them, I'd be glad to do so. I just don't want to spend... It takes a lot to unpack this chapter, but there are four things that kind of happen here. One is that he's talking about the day of the Lord, this idea, this belief that God was going to make everything right. And God was going to make all the wrongs of the world right, and he was going to fix all this broken. And so there'd be this day when, when God would bring justice and judgment to the world, and he would set the oppressed free, and it would be a great day, but, but it would be a tough day, Right? The second thing, Jesus says, well, I'm going to come again. Don't worry. I'm going to come again and redeem the whole world. Everything wrong will be made right. This is why I came. I'm going to bring life and life to its fullest, the way life was meant to be. The third thing he begins to say is this, that, that um, the city is going to fall. The whole city itself. In fact, he says armies are going to surround it and it's going to be, this is what verses 20 to 24 really talk about, armies are going to surround this city and, and they're going to sack it. And during that time, it'll be so bad. It'd be awful to be a nursing mother or be a woman and in fact to be a child. I mean, it was, um, it was so horrific in those days in 70 AD when, the, when Rome sacked Jerusalem that cannibalism began to happen inside the city that they would sometimes drop babies from, from, the, from the wall because it was better for them to die that way than of starvation. I mean, it was horrific. And Rome ripped down the walls of the city and they burnt the whole place and they starved people out. I mean, it was awful. And Jesus' exact words were that this generation will not pass away before this comes to, comes to fruition. And Jesus was born about 6 AD. And so it would have been about 39 AD when he's telling them this. And so by 70 AD, so one generation later, this actually happened. 
And then he says to them, there's going to be some persecution for those of you who are faithful to me. We, we can read about that historically. We know it's true. So what we find in this text is what Jesus says is going to happen actually happens. What we begin to find is the words of Jesus are trustworthy and true. Now some will try to say, well, what about, talk about signs and wonders? And yeah, we can get kind of crazy and try to draw up maps and figure out this dispensation kind of weird stuff. And if you hear that kind of terminology, just probably don't ignore it because... What do you need to know about this? Jesus is going to come again, and he says only the Father knows when. So what's the point of all this for us today, right? What's the point of this text? Is it trying to freak us out? No. Jesus' point is simple. Live with a sense of urgency in your life. Live expecting God to use you. Live expecting God to do something new and creative and radical, something that has never been seen before. So for us, we begin to, to, to recognize that God calls us to lives that are kind of full of risk. To, to this kind of adventure that, that looks different than some adventures we think of. But it, it's this idea that, that we're to live in such a way that God wants to use us. And so he says this, be faithful, and then you'll experience life. And see, we so often in the church have taught things like this. Hey, come know Jesus so you can go to heaven. And we think, well, I guess I want to go to heaven because if hell is the alternative, I think heaven sounds pretty good, so I'm in. But what Jesus says is, no, no, I mean, yeah, heaven's part of this. You can pass from life to life, but, but man, live faithfully. Live a life that matters. Live a life that dreams, that, that has an imagination, that hopes for more. In fact, I love these words of N.T. Wright as he talks about this text. He says, the answer is the same for us as it was for the Jerusalem Christians nearly a generation after Jesus. Keep alert. This is what you were told to expect. Patience is the key. Pray for strength to keep on your feet. There are times when your eyes will be shutting with tiredness, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical, and when you will have to prop them open. This is not what it's about. Not an exciting battle with a steady tread of prayer and hope and scripture and sacrament and witness day by day and week by week. This is what counts. This is why patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Read the story again. Remind one another of what Jesus said and keep awake. This is what we're doing. We're reminding one another, Jesus says, I'm going to come again. I'm going to redeem everything. I'm going to make all the world right. But I want you to be a part of this with me. And so what does all this scripture mean? What, what, what do we get out of this today? What if I just said this? What if we answered the question that Jesus asked at the beginning of the story with the widow? Does God have all of you? Does God have all of me? Does he have all of us? If no, then I want you to know today that we do believe Jesus lived and he died and he rose again. And he did it so that we could know God's love and its fullness and Jesus represents the sacrificial, self-giving hope that God desperately loves us all and wants us all to be his children. And so Jesus creates for us this opportunity to see the fullness of God's love. And if you say, yeah, I, I, I believe that, I agree with that, I'm in for that, then, then awesome. Then here's the thing for us, then, if that defines you. So if yes, then what? Remember that the words of Jesus were trustworthy and true. And live with a sense of urgency in telling your story of what Jesus has done in your life. See, I told Holly I was going to pick on her this morning, and so um, she knew this was coming, so I did warn her. But we had an all-day staff planning this week, and 
and we met at a coffee shop to kind of get out of the office that way less distraction here so we so we we met and we're talking and so we took a break and after lunch we're ordering some more coffee and so i i told the girl can i said i'd like mine extra hot because they use regular cups and so it got cold fast because there's nothing over the top so i said can you make it extra hot she goes yeah no problem and then holly orders the exact same thing i ordered and, and she goes well do you want yours extra hot too and she goes no regular hot's fine for me And I think this is kind of what our faith is like. See, God calls us to live a life that's extra hot. That's on fire for him, that lives with a passion and an excitement and a sense of urgency for what he has done. But we usually go, well, I kind of just want to be regular hot. I don't want to be extra hot. Can I just be regular? I don't want to be that excited. I mean, I want to believe in Jesus, but I kind of like to do my own thing and just get this heaven deal at the end. I mean, can I live like that? See, I think what Jesus is trying to say to us in this text is, listen, you can be extra hot, but there's really no such thing as regular hot. See, I think God really with us wants to do something remarkable among us and in us and through us. So I mentioned earlier you had a card in your, in your seat. Um, so on one side, it looks like this. It says, 45-day prayer card. On the other side, it looks like this, and it says, God, use me. Simple, right? You're going to fill in the blank in a minute, I hope, but I want to tell a story first. And so our, our hope is that if you will start praying every day for 45 days, that's today to May 9th. I'm going to hang mine on my bathroom mirror so I see it every morning. I started praying it this morning. And I'm not asking what your prayers. I mean, if you want to tell me, you can. I'm not necessarily going to volunteer mine, but, but I, I want you to pray for 45 days every single day for the same thing. And here's two catches to it. It, it can't be for you, right? I mean, we, I hope you're praying for you anyway. And I don't want it to be for your family. It shouldn't be for your family either because I hope you're doing that as well. I hope you're always praying for yourself and for your family and your own faith. But, but this is something bigger than you. And so here's a story I want to tell that might help you see what it means to pray something bigger. So two guys named Doug and Bob. This is a true story. Um, in fact, Bob Goff, I've mentioned him before, but this is Bob's story. So so Doug helped lead Bob to know Christ and became kind of this spiritual mentor for him. And so as, as they grew older, and, and, and Doug said to Bob, Bob, do you pray? And Bob's like, yeah, of course I pray. I mean, I pray all the time. He says, well, I mean, what do you pray for? And he listed some stuff. And, and Doug said, well, I'd like to challenge you to pray a little more. He says, what do you mean? And he said, well, here's the deal. What if, what if you, you begin to pray um, for one thing for 45 days every single day? In fact, I think God answers prayer so much so that I'll, I'll make you a bet. I'll give you $500 if you pray this prayer for 45 days every day and God does nothing. I'll pay you $500. Bob's like, where's the loss in this for me? All right, I'm in. Doug said, here's the catch, though. If you pray this for 45 days and God does answer your prayer, you send me $500. Bob goes, sweet, still. It's a win-win. God answers my prayer, or I make $500. I'll do it. So Doug says to Bob, well, Bob, what are you going to pray for? And he says, I'm going to pray for Africa. And Doug says, well, um, that's good, but that's probably a little bit big. I mean, why don't you think of something smaller in Africa? And he says, well, okay, well, I'm going to pray for Uganda. And Doug looks at Bob and he says, well, Bob, have you, have you ever been to Uganda? He says, well, no. Do you know anyone in Uganda? No. Okay. 
So Bob begins to pray every single day. On day 32, Bob's attending this fundraiser dinner that his wife dragged him to, and, and he's sitting there at his table, and it's one of those kind of obligatory where you kind of ask, hey, what do you do for a living? Where, you know, where are you from? All that kind of stuff, because you're trying to make small talk to get this thing over with so you can go home. And Bob says, I'm really not engaged in the conversations. I'm just sitting there. I, I don't really want to be there. I'm kind of tired, and, and we're going around the table, and we get to this one lady across from me, and we say, well, what do you do? And she says, well, actually, um, I live in Uganda. Bob perks up. What do you do? Well, I run the largest orphanage in the, in the country of Uganda. And so Bob just starts pepping her with questions. He's been praying, day 32. And she goes, well, have you been to Uganda? Nope, I've never been to Uganda. Do you know anyone in Uganda? Well, I know you now. She says, would you like to come? Would you like to come visit the orphanage? Bob says, yeah, I'll do that. He buys a plane ticket, flies to Uganda. Sees this orphanage, tours it. His heart breaks because what he sees around him are kids dying from diseases that are quite simple, that if they had just simple drugs, they could, could fix, and, and it just breaks his heart. So Bob flies home, and he writes a letter to every major pharmaceutical com- company in the country, and he says, will you, at the end of every year, I know you guys throw away tons of pharmaceuticals. Will you just send them to this orphanage? And they send over a million dollars worth of pharmaceutical drugs to this orphanage in Uganda. Doug gets his, or Bob gets his call back from the lady at the orphanage. He says, hey, Bob, people's lives are literally being changed here. Would you come? Would you come back? We want to throw a big party, and we want you to be the guest of honor. Will you come, please? Yeah. Buys another plane ticket. Flies back to Uganda. He's at the orphanage. They're having this great big celebration, and the president of Uganda shows up because largest orphanage in the country. Big deal. President comes. President meets Bob. He goes, Bob, it's great what you've done for these kids. Would you, would you like a tour of the Capitol as my guest? Yeah. He says, I found it. If you keep just saying yes to God, I mean, cool things keep happening. So, so Bob goes with the president, and they're traveling around the Capitol, and then he says, well, what, what are those animal cages right there for? Because Bob noticed there are people in these animal cages. The president says, well, those are, those are my political enemies. Bob goes, hmm. Should probably let them go. Doesn't think much about what he said. Goes on a tour of the president. You know, it kind of breaks his heart and, and flies home. Two months later, he gets his phone call from the U.S. State Department. Is this Bob? Yes. Bob, did you just go to Africa? Yes. Bob, did you go to Uganda? Yes. He's like, I already know they all know all these answers. Why they're asking me, I don't really know. But did you meet with the president while you were there? Yes. What did you guys talk about? Well, we went to the orphanage. Well, did you talk about his political prisoners? Yes. What did you tell him? I said, you should probably let him go. He goes, Bob, we've been trying for two years to get the president of Uganda to let those people go, and he did. We don't know exactly what you said, but you apparently changed his mind. If I stop right there, the story's pretty cool, but the story's not over, so... So Bob gets a call from the president of Uganda and says, will you come back? I'd like your advice on a couple of things we're looking at in the country. And so Bob flies back to Uganda again, and Bob meets with the president, and the president says, you know, I just thanks for your advice. And Bob says, well, would you like to be the guest at my house? I've come to your house. Why don't you come to my house? The president says, sure. Flies to California to meet him. Bob invites Doug, because remember, Doug's one who challenged him to pray for 45 days. It's already been incredible. So Doug comes down to meet with Bob and meet with the president of Uganda. And, and they begin meeting, and they begin talking. And the president of Uganda gives his life to Jesus, because Doug talks to him about Jesus and how much God loves him. 
all because they prayed for 45 days that God would use him. I mean, the cool part of the story is now Bob is a consul to the country of Uganda, and he gets uh, special diplomatic plates on his car even. I mean, it's, it's kind of a cool story, and I could tell you more about him. And if you want to read more, there's a book called Love Does by the guy named Bob Goff, and he's really a guy that exists, and he travels around the country and speaks, and he's an attorney out of California. But, but this is his life where he said he kept saying yes to God. See, he prayed. He prayed, yes, God used me, and he prayed specifically for something in particular. But then here's the best part about this for us, is not only did he pray this prayer expecting God to use him, but then when God opened a door, he said yes. See, I think sometimes we pray prayers, and God opens the doors, and we go, ooh, I need to pray about this some more. I'll get back to you on this, God. I just want to pray about this opportunity. I just want to make sure it's of you. And God's thinking, what are you, a moron? You've been praying about this for months. I'm giving you the opportunity. Step into it. Step into the opportunity. Step into the thing that you've been praying and hoping for. You've been asking for me to answer your prayer, and I'm doing it in front of you. Stop being afraid of it and step into what I have for you. And so what I want to say to us this morning is this. God wants us to live with a sense of urgency. He wants us to live expecting him to work. He wants us to live in such a way that we share our story of what he has done in our life with everybody that we meet. Because if you met Bob, he is contagious. He's so radically defined by the one who says, I tell you what, be alert, be awake, live for me, and you'll find that life just is barely beginning and you'll pass from life to life and death will never even enter in. So my challenge is to you and to me that for 45 days, starting today, you will pick something to pray for. Something beyond your wildest imagination. Something that's a dream. And you'll say, God, will you use me? And you'll pray it every single day for 45 days from now until May 9th. And I won't give you $500. Maybe I'll give you five, but, but, but not 500 if you don't miss a day. But I just want to hear the stories of what God does if you and I are faithful to pray for 45 days expecting God to work. So this is your challenge. This is my plea to you and to me that for 45 days we'll pray, God use me. And whatever it is, tape it in your, in your Bible, on the dashboard of your car, in the bathroom of your house, wherever you need to put it to remember it, to pray for 45 days, God use me. And so, so I want to hear your stories between now and May 9th of what when God answers your prayer or incredible things that God does, because I think if we pray expecting God to work, then Bob's story becomes our story. Maybe it's not in Uganda, but maybe God will do something here right in Muskegon County or Ottawa County, wherever it is you live. So I invite you to stand this morning as we pray and as the praise team comes to lead us in one final closing song together. And we, we want to recognize today, today that Jesus has changed us. He has transformed our lives. He is renewing and redeeming and restoring us, but he calls us to transform the world. And part of how we do that is praying, and then when God opens the door, we step in to what he has for us. Father, help us today as we try to figure out what it looks like for us to be a people who pray, God, use me. Who try to be a people who live and model faithfulness like a guy named Bob. 
And we so desperately want to look like you. We want to be this blessing to the world. We so desperately want people to hear our stories of what you have done so that their story is radically defined by the love of God seen in the person of Jesus through his life, his death, and his resurrection, which gives us hope this day. So, Father, we want to live as a people of life. Help us to be radically defined by hope and faith and by you. So God, may you use us to transform this world. May we dare to dream big dreams. May we spend the next 45 days praying about them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.